Hey, hey, Podnutkins. Welcome to Linux for the Rest of Us, episode 229. My name is Door to Door Geek. This is a Linux podcast for the newbie and for everyone alike. Uh, this is not an enterprise-driven podcast, I will say. This is a user-driven podcast. And I will first and foremost like to say thank you for everyone who's supporting Podnuts on Patreon. Thanks to you. We do not have to be like nearly every other Linux podcast out there which constantly shills for products and services that it's painfully obvious that they actually don't believe in. We believe in the listeners, so it's very nice that they can uh, support us directly. Um, I am joined again by uh, Bruce Patterson. How's everything going, Bruce? Sure, I'm doing just fine. Uh, I'll say this. I'm doing better. Uh, I We're recording slightly later than normal. My uh, wife and her sister and... Basically, six kids, five adults said, well, let's go eat dinner and then let's go bowling. I'm very happy to say every single game, I completely crushed everybody. So I felt better. You know, there's. I have to tell you, uh, you know, I could take bowling one way or the other. But over the years, I've come to appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, it's one of those um, nuanced things is the way I like to think of it. You, you can easily tell somebody how to hit a baseball. But the art of hitting a baseball is nothing like you describe it. To actually bowl requires like a different set of uh, talents. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's funny because it took me years to figure out what those markers in the middle of the lane were for. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll say for me, uh, having very poor depth perception and basically having monovision, I only look out of one eye at a time. To aim a ball that far down the lane and actually hit close to the center of the lane tells me that I'm doing something right because it's definitely not easy. Although I'll give you a quick story. When I was a kid, one of the things, we used to go to police camp, and what that was was the area police would set up a camp every year for troubled or kids who were in danger of of being on the wrong side of the law. And for some reason, I got drawn into it. But anyway, they took us to a local bowling alley. And what I used to do is I used to find the biggest, strongest kid to bowl with because it was just I was being a jack back then. And so what would happen that, you know, when it was the kid's turn to, um, you know, throw, you know, let the ball go, I I would challenge him. I go, you know, I bet you I can hit those pins harder than you. And so, of course, the kid would wind up and let one hurl. Just as he lets it go, I hit the reset button. Hilarity ensues. Yeah, my kids would call that a epic troll. <laughs> yeah, well, that was good until somebody finally caught on to what I was doing. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, I want to first go over voicemail, a- a.k.a. voicemails always get presidents on this show because it means I don't have to talk as much. Um, this voicemail is from Tracy Holtz. If you don't know who Tracy Holtz is, <sighs> where have you been? Yeah, I mean, there's too much to say. I'll just say this. Unbelievably cool guy transplanted from Dakotas to Texas, became a Texan. Now he's in Florida. He's became a Floridian, uh, but now he's all over the U.S., so he's trucking everywhere that he goes. And what a life he leads, because when he moved down to Dallas, he actually had his cake and ate it, too, because he's a North Stars fan. And, of course, they left Minnesota to come down to Dallas, I guess, just to be with him. Yeah, it, it was almost like they um, followed him down there. Um, I, I, I want to preemptively thank Tracy for the voicemail. It's always, it's always good to hear from Tracy, period. Um, 
any chance I get to uh, chat with him is always a good time. Um, it's definitely a slightly longer voicemail, but definitely worth it. I will hit play here in a second. Hello, Mr. Bruce and Mr. Dorth. This is Tracy right now driving down I-65, about 100 miles north of Nashville. Uh, if it sounds like I'm on my Bluetooth headset uh, recording on my phone, so probably could be better quality, but hey, not too bad for a big truck rolling down the road. Hey, uh, listen to the show last week. Great show, by the way. First and foremost, Dorth, don't believe Bruce and everything. He'll always have a spot, soft spot for the Boston Bruins. And thanks for talking about hockey. Uh, he is right. Team to watch, Islanders. If you want a young, young team to watch, Islanders. Head on. Two other teams to keep an eye on. Uh, just a high, just high octane, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Go for them. If you want, I think the best versatile all-around team offense, Steve, just, just pure balance, probably have to go Las Vegas uh, out there. So there's you there. Hey, a couple things about your show. Talk about when you started. I actually started when Red Hat Linux 6 came out in 1999. Got it, installed it on my work machine. When I worked for McAfee, freaked everybody out. But our system was so archaic, it could run under wine. And once I did that, my boss saw that and he really didn't care. So, because he knew I'd never get hacked by viruses. So, yeah, I was one of them back then that would just do it. And yeah, I guess pay the consequences later. Or the main reason I'm calling is you had the person about mint and what to use. Um, agreed with what you said, but you're forgetting one very, very important feature about why to go to Ubuntu. It is if you search how to in Google or DuckDuckGo, whatever you want to use, how to do this in Linux, odds are with the big, huge Ubuntu community, a lot of your how-tos are going to be tutorial to Ubuntu. So starting out, that's another key feature I tell people that uh, going with a, a more of a mainstream, it'll be easier to find help for that. So I hope this audio is okay. I will uh, send some another time. And uh, I, I still get emails down then. Where am I podcasting? What am I doing podcasting? You guys don't understand the power of just being lazy. It, it, yeah, you just don't know. I'm, get, I'm getting off. I'm, I'm kind of working on something here and there. Uh, kind of talked to Dor a little about it. He doesn't know much about it. He probably forgot about it. It's been so long, but uh, you guys will hear. And Bruce, it's good to hear from you again and talk to you again. And Mr. Dor, have a good day as always. Everybody out there, links for the rest of us land. Have a good one. Ah, man, I really miss that guy. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for the voicemail, Tracy. Yeah, it's definitely always good to hear from you. Um, he's the kind of guy I will literally do work for. Um and like go out of my way if it means that he could be consistently on any type of a uh, show that I could do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's a top-notch guy. And one other team we forgot to mention in our NHL uh, scrum was uh, Calgary. That's another team. So there you go. It's complete now. Very cool. Very cool. And um, I will say, um, I don't know the right, the right word to like summarize it really appropriately, but yes. Uh, the one of the biggest reasons to go with Ubuntu or Ubuntu-based distributions is the sheer amount of content being published out there for help and for and for step by steps is insane compared to any other distro on the face of the planet. Um, granted, if you want to learn how Linux works, then you know you're going to use something like Slackware or Arch. But if you just want a system that works and you want community support to be, you know, everywhere, then you have to go with a basically Debian Ubuntu based uh, 
version of Linux. Well, you know, one of the things I, I would like to do is ultimately go back and revisit Ubuntu at some point. I don't have a real reason for not doing it. Um, I just, I guess just over the years, uh, my, um, my stance or my, my priorities were elsewhere. So uh, I don't know. Maybe in the upcoming months, uh, the laptop that I'm working off of right now as we speak, I might actually convert that over to Ubuntu uh, when it's time to jump off uh, Debian 9. Well, I'll say Debian, Debian is, to me, the pillar. Uh, Ubuntu is just a derivative thereof. And the best thing about Ubuntu is its stability. The worst thing about Ubuntu is its stability. AKA, it's quite a boring distribution if you're deep into Linux. Um, most of this stuff, quote unquote, just works. Most of the stuff you download, though, will not be the newest cutting edge version of things. Uh, snaps can bring you closer to that edge, but it is almost a boring distribution. Um, there are certain things that they don't really encourage you to edit or to customize where if you're in arch or something like that you're much more accustomed to having that fine grain control um it's one of those distributions i say it's fine for its use case but not outside of its own use case well one of the things i think i might also do too is that as i've uh, started with centos 8 uh, I'm going to start gathering some notes and maybe just give some helpful tips on things that I've run into, uh, you know, as we go along, because as we mentioned, this is for, for everybody. And I mean, there are a lot of folks out there that may have tried this for the first time and, you know, maybe need a little bit of guidance for it too. I mean that, and I can also cite my blog a little bit down the, the road too, because there's a lot of stuff that I actually, I use my blog mainly to make notes for myself because I know at some point I'm going to have to refer back to it a little bit later, you know, setting up things like our desktop or, you know, taking a site from like the Unix men where they upgrade the kernel, little things like that. Those are, those can be helpful if you have some actual uh, guidance. Yeah. And I will agree um, with Linux. Certain things are best conveyed in video. Certain things are best conveyed in audio. But a lot of it is realistically best conveyed in text. And it's like I tried to explain to a coworker this past week. The reason Linux is, in my opinion, one of the reasons it's successful, one of the key reasons is everything is a plain ASCII text file by its very nature. You know, I didn't get into the system D type things, but basically everything is a text file, which means if you can open up a text editor, then basically anything you want is either available for you to read, seek, search through, edit, customize, or just flat out delete if you want. Well, also the other part I like it is that um, there's a, a favorite phrase that everybody's heard at least once in their life, and that's RTFM, which actually is what I did today uh, using DNF because uh, I got a notification saying that there were install uh, updates to be installed. And so and naturally I use DNF install updates. The thing is, is that that actually is no longer applicable. I actually have to use upgrade. So it, it's a uh, little minor things like that. But quite frankly, you know, uh, this is two weeks into it. I am freaking loving it. Very cool. Very cool. And I will say there is one distro watch page that I always find myself going back to at least two or three times a year. 
Um, and I can never remember what the name of the page is. I always search distro watch space a T uh, apt space yum space arch like that. And then what I find is a package management page package management cheat sheet is what it's called. And I love that page because it tells me in a very summarized fashion, no matter what distribution I'm using, here is how you do the update. Here's how you do an upgrade. Here's how you do like a distribution type upgrade. Here's how you search your cache. Here's how you find package. Here's how you purge packages. Like it basically summarizes a huge amount of the administration of nearly any Linux distribution in a very tidy fashion. Uh, that's a great resource. In fact, uh, it's one I should actually look at more and more. You think I would actually? Well, I mean, it's one of those things. I don't want to say we take it for granted, but this page has literally been in existence. I'm pretty sure about 13 years, if not more. So we, you know, it's easy to forget that it exists. And and I'm going to like paraphrase uh, John Mad Dog Hall. Um, Sometimes you don't need dramatic changes. Sometimes you just need minor revisions to code or things because they actually were created correctly in, in the um, first place. Uh, this kind of page never needs to be completely nuked and paved over again because, in my opinion, it was designed correctly and its main uh, goal was basically achieved very early on. So all they had to do is just keep tweaking it to keep updating, uh, you know, how to update, um, um, man, um, man, Driva, Fedora, Zenwalk, Vector, Slackware, or whatever distribution that you could be running. Well, one of the other things that I like from the site too, is that, uh, this probably started about two, three years ago when they started giving you access to their archives, because I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to consolidate all of the stuff uh, for tips and tricks, because that is immensely, immensely useful. And yet, you know, every week would go by, and unless you knew specifically which uh, uh, week the tips and tricks were, you, you'd have to you'd go out of your mind. So, you know, props to the, the continuous work they do on that site. So it is a very good resource. I was going to say, uh, with that, did you want to segue into the, the uh, telemetry uh, uh, stuff from Canonical? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure how to read that when I first saw it. Um, what I took from it was, long story short, Ubuntu has not shared uh, any of their numbers with basically anybody for years. So they promised about uh, six plus months ago that they would start to share, um, uh, you know, uh, how many people install, what is the um, rate of update, what's the rate of upgrade kind of things. And what I couldn't find was an actual just straight up raw number here's the actual number of installs that we believe we had now i granted i didn't read every single line of this um page over on bleepingcomputer.com but it looked like they were showing more of versus the number of installs here's the number of people that opted in to giving us data here's the number of people who've had it installed for more than you know 12 months 18 months kind of thing which is all interesting information but it really didn't give me that like narcotic i was looking for 
Well, I'm wondering if it's if I'm too old to uh, enjoy memes because uh, one of the memes that I've always enjoyed is there's one with the Joker and the losing the minds. It's one I would create for this particular instance is that everybody's on Google, yet when Ubuntu asks them if they could actually have a little bit of their time, people lose their minds. Uh, I did find a few things really useful useful in this uh it confirmed for me that the average time it takes to install bare metal was actually roughly 15 uh 15 to 18 minutes that's extremely good if we remember the old days oh yeah and i'm like telling people at work i cannot comprehend and i'm like literally like pulling hair out i cannot comprehend how a windows update takes a half an hour and I like I could literally install a Linux system, reboot, completely destroy it, and reinstall again, and it would still be quicker than some of these Windows updates. Um, the speed and how it is so um um expedited the Linux install. It literally now only asks you the absolute questions it has to have answers to. And then it just installs and it, I have had so little issues installing Linux in the last, I would say eight plus years. Um, the installer process to me is one of the most polished parts of Linux. Oh, by far. In fact, it's funny because we talk about Microsoft. Thank God Adobe's in the freaking cloud. Cause I'll tell you those downloads themselves would exceed the sizes of some OSs. After a while, you want to start typing with your this it's just that maddening yeah it's almost like installing a hp printer driver on windows where you just like uh you had the other meme of like jackie chan like shrugging like what the hell is going how can it possibly be 300 megs of downloads for a printer driver uh, yes exactly what are you doing here yeah and i will say this um I'm still comfortable with using Ubuntu. I'm not convinced that they have the best um, strategy moving forward. I'm not convinced that they have the actual end user in mind. I do believe that they are really playing a very uh, careful game of, um, you know, making sure that they're popular enough and yet trying to adhere to some principles about keeping certain things closed in their own ecosystem and they're really trying to push the enterprise system to people um i will say congratulations for them keep trying to do whatever you're trying to do but as long as you support the open ecosystem as long as you actually provide something useful for normal users to use in their house then i'm going to keep supporting you um they haven't completely uh, quote unquote screwed the pooch yet but I'm not sure how much longer they're going to be the go-to distribution for the newest user who, you know, doesn't want to do a lot of work. Um, and, and I have no problem saying again, if you take a look at the mint source code and uh, compared to the Ubuntu source code, the differences are unbelievably minuscule. Um, if you require an easier distribution than Ubuntu, I really do question um, why? Because I cannot find anything that uh, the base Ubuntu doesn't at least try to do.
And, you know, it's funny. Uh, one of the things I'd be hard-pressed to is, you know, under interrogation, not that that's going to happen, but, um, you know, if people ask me why am I using it, quite frankly, uh, it's one of those things where uh, I'm not worried about the intrusiveness of Microsoft. So I think that's my only answer to this day. Is it a great answer? No, absolutely not, because it's what I use at work. But, I mean, you know, for now, it, it, I feel comfortable with, with what I'm using on a day-to-day, -day, and I don't have to worry about uh, ultimately getting to the point where I have to pay for my own stuff again. Yeah, and I mean, um, I'm really, I mean, and you know, now to transition to the other uh, link that you sent was, was uh, Linus Torvald saying that he was not worried about Microsoft taking over. Um, I don't think I've ever been worried about Microsoft in air quotes taking over. Um, I am worried about Microsoft owning too much mind share is the way that I think of it. Um, to let such a incompetent company who literally cannot do anything right in the realms of security, who really has proven over decades that they really don't even understand the word privacy to allow them to control such a mind share is what I worry about. I don't think they could control Linux, even if they hired Linus Torvalds, even if they gave him the term, the like actual title president. I still don't think they're competent enough to actually, quote unquote, take over Microsoft. Um, but I'll also say this. I love the fact that I personally believe when Linus Torvalds says these kind of comments, he's in at least a part hoping to drive people's actions and reactions to try to make what he says come to come come to um, um fruition well i want to tie the ubuntu and this part of it into it as well um or sort of a spin-off on it one of the things i think interesting is that uh we talk about uh ubuntu in their approach where they started with the customer first instead of going uh taking the red hat model and i'm kind of surprised at that because Enterprise is where you're really going to make your money, not off of, uh, not off the the citizens, not not right away anyway. Um, although we haven't had a distro really test that theory just yet. Uh, I don't know what element is it elementary OS or I'm trying to remember them or Zorin uh, that has the Windows feature um, and uh, basically there's an opt-in to pay for support. Well elementary on their download link heavily encouraged you to pay money uh zorin has certain desktop themes behind a paywall and i'm no i'm saying that too like uh forcefully 99 percent of the things you can do in zorin os you can do in zorin os pay or the free version uh it's just um easier if you pay them i will say um Neither of them have really adopted the Red Hat model of just letting everything out and just you pay for support. Um, elementary is hoping for people to be good citizens. Uh, Zorin is hoping that you want to pay them in order to, to just have things easier available to you. That's kind of weird me, but all right. Well, I don't want to get too far off of the, off the topic here. Well, and here's the thing. Ubuntu really tickled the fancy of the users early on. And they did everything in their power to try to encourage 
normal users, look, you should use us for simplicity. It almost seems like in the last um, four years or so, I don't want to say they've forsaken end users, but they really came to like a realization that if you go in the arena where people are used to paying money, it's much easier to make money. And I'm going to paraphrase, you know, 1989 hip hop, a tribe called Quest who said, scared money don't make none. Um, if you're not in the arena where people are spending money, it's really difficult to make money. So for Ubuntu to try to be in the enterprise game, it's much easier for them to make money. Where if you're just a solely desktop distribution, if you're solely a residential type entertainment use desktop distribution, it is incredibly difficult to make money. If you're an enterprise distribution, enterprises are already accustomed to spending money for support, spending money for updates, spending money for enhancements, spending money for money spake, spending money so they can point and say, it's your fault, spending money so they can say, well, I did everything I could. That's what enterprise is great at. So for them to be in the enterprise arena to me is a perfectly understandable thing to do, but they need to not forsaken uh, the people that got them to the dance. And that is the people on the weekends installing it on their own personal devices. Well, this this next comment, I suppose, will come really out of left field. But what I would like to and actually this was a discussion that I had with uh, D. Smith uh, from DistroWatch as well. We were talking about kind of this kind of situation. And so uh, I guess two things I would bring up. Uh, the Linux Foundation and why they don't play a major part in all of this. And the second part of it is that when you have a company like Red Hat, and I'm not going to use them as a whipping boy. I like the fact that they were able to turn over, you know, um, what is it, a couple billion dollars over in profit. Uh, it would be nice to see some of that money funneled back to the developers for these because I understand that in some cases this actually exists um, I would hope that the Linux Foundation would you know take its head out of the sand and figure a way to marshal all of these developers to give the Linux community a little focus because that's what I think we do we need 18 different audio players you know things like that well yeah, I mean, to me, the biggest, uh, I don't even know how to phrase it. The One of the biggest issues with Linux in general is its lack of focus. Squirrel! Where they keep, like, literally shooting off at the hip with all kinds of random things. Um, Where it would be really nice if there was some level of direction without being onerous, which is a very, 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 very difficult tightrope to watch. To, to like actually walk um the linux foundation in my opinion has done a fantastic job of separating itself from strictly controlling the linux kernel strictly controlling linux kernel development and strictly controlling the future of linux yet trying to control at least the inputs and outputs of how linux is interacted with by enterprises by business by um people developing embedded systems, uh, car manufacturers or whatever. They're trying to walk that line. And it's really, to me, surprising how well they've done that. Um, and I'm going to like quote uh, Linus Torval about this. 
Microsoft thing. And what he said was the whole anti Microsoft thing was something funny as a joke, but not really to, um, to, um, to day. They're actually much friendlier. I talk to Microsoft engineers at various conferences and I feel like, yes, they have changed and their engineers are happy and they, and they're like really happy working on Linux. So I completely dismiss all the anti Microsoft stuff, end quote. And here's the thing. I do believe in, you know, without saying dumb in my heart of hearts, the Microsoft engineers do love Linux. The Microsoft engineers do love working on Linux. Those people, I think, do have their best interest at heart. That doesn't mean the company does. That means the company is paying them enough money to do what they're doing. Um, I don't trust and I will never trust corporations of this magnitude. Um, what I hope is that the employees have enough power, enough stroke, enough prestige, enough um, swagger to keep influencing the company to do, quote unquote, the right thing. I believe they have been successful. I don't know how long they're going to be successful, though. Well, that's something I wish we all had a crystal ball for. But um, eh, all right. Um, what are some of the other uh, links that we have? Um, because uh, I was actually looking for the email that you had sent me. Um, um, I'll let you drive the car. Okay. Well, the one link that you sent me that I found interesting was the Ed, the Edward snowden labyrinth link from nybooks.com um if anybody knows me whatsoever they know i can't read more than you know 40 or 50 words until i completely have no idea what i'm reading anymore this was incredibly long article i will say all on one page not completely covered in ads uh, but what I did was I was able to uh, convert this into an audio form. So I was listening as I was trying to read it. Um, the idea of freedom, and here's the whole thing. If you literally go back through the history of this country, you will find the word freedom has meant incredibly different things to, to everybody throughout time. Right now, we just have a snapshot of what Edward Snowden thinks of the word freedom and how it should be portrayed. And here's the thing. I don't care if you think he's a criminal. I don't care if you think he's a hero. What I care is how come this guy believes he cannot get fair treatment in the court system, the judicial system in the United States of America. He feels so dramatically that he will not be treated fairly, that he's basically exercised himself from this country and I don't know if he's ever coming back, but he made it very clear. And he's always made it very clear that if he believed he could have fair treatment, he would be back on a boat to this country tomorrow. Um, I don't know what needs to change, but I really do hope it gets better over each month, each year until he actually can come back to this country and actually can have a fair, equitable treatment in the eyes of the law. Well, I'll try to be somewhat brief in, in running down a few things and what 
drew me to this particular book um, a couple of uh, weeks ago. There was actually uh, um, an interesting segment on NPR. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not a giant NPR fan by any stretch, but they were you know. speaking. <laughs> they were speaking in particular about a guy named uh, Jim Risen, who wrote a book about State of War, uh, the short history of the CIA and the Bush administration. And it's interesting because at one point I didn't realize that the reason the CIA existed was uh, to uh, spy on Russia. And so when um, the fall of communism uh, became a real thing, the CIA should have folded up with it. But instead, it went on its merry way, and, well, we have what we have today. I think what's interesting about um, uh, Snowden and his particular situation is that I remember the first day that um, this came out as news that, you know, he'd confirmed things that I think a majority of Americans had already naturally assumed was already happening. And I think it's unfortunate that there wasn't a major uproar, you know, or, or uh, you know, storming the, the uh, doors of their congressmen saying, hey, we need to change this. Uh, it was almost it was almost apathetic the way it was treated. But anyway, the, the short of it was, you know, to the degree that this happens. And there's one part in the article where Snowden's talking about how uh, his job at the NSA um, was uh, he was monitoring uh, a child in India um, because the suspect was actually the child's father. They couldn't get any traction on any of the, his computer use. So what he figured is that maybe they're using the child's machine instead. So Snowden jumped on. And what's interesting is that uh, he had um, actually managed to get into the kid's computer, activate the, the monitor and the microphone. And, you know, he has a full screen record of everything that's going on and sure enough eventually they got the father on the uh on the machine and i think it's actually really disturbing that he confirms that there is a screen capture of every american and what they are doing what they'll use it for i don't know but it's um i don't know it's if you're watching if you think you're watching something secret in an incognito browser i've got news for you that's not as incognito as you think it is yeah, and that's one of the things that um, um, I do believe there's a cognitive bias going on where especially Americans uh, choose to not think about certain things. Um, privacy is a complete illusion. Uh, we are one of the few countries that really have no laws in their core document about privacy, about personal privacy, about personal information. Um, there are other first world countries where it's at least stated one way or another how personal privacy is supposed to be handled personal data is supposed to be handled in the u.s it's very footloose and you know open um government institutions are unbelievably adept in justifying their own existence number one but number two they're unbelievably also agile at skirting around regulations, laws, social norms in order to do what they think is the right thing to do. And I will say, I've said this on more than a couple of shows, everybody cast themselves as the hero 
in their own story. So the people who created that original software to get into these computers and to snoop and to spy and to record and to do everything, they thought they were doing the right thing. And I'm sure they do believe they were doing the right thing. Um, um, you know, through the lens of history, we can more, I guess, uh, easily determine what we believe was the right or the wrong thing to do. Um, but I don't think a lot of people believe that what Ed Snowden says was in fact as easy as it appeared to be. Um, uh, I, I think a huge swath of people just basically blanketly dismiss him as being some sort of crack, some sort of, you know, one-off, some sort of thing where, you know, he might have been doing these things, but I'm sure not everybody is like doing the same kind of thing. Um, and it's sad. Um, I hate to say, but facts never drive political opinion in the United States. And this is not new. This is nothing new. This is not even remotely new. You can literally go back 200 years and what drove people's political choices were narratives, stories, things that they thought they could connect with. It it didn't matter if it was true or not. And for some reason, the Edwin uh, Snowden story has really only connected with, in my personal opinion, the hardest of the hardest core privacy advocates and unfortunately some conspiracy theorists as well which i don't think helps um our case to try to find what we consider to be the ultimate truth no and you're you're unfortunately correct about that uh i think once we get into conspiracies you can almost discount the argument right off the bat <laughs> yeah and i mean i really do hope you know it might take hopefully not you know 20 years but I really hope that there will be some time where he can come back into this country, be treated with at least some manner of respect, and then be dealt with by George by um judges and courts without you know um people already be- like believing that they know the answer. Um, the best possible thing about the American Jew um judicial the system is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. And unfortunately that isn't really always the case. Um, we've seen many, many, many times where people walk into a court of law and everybody already basically has in their head that this person is guilty. So let's just find a way that we can prove that. And I think, I believe that actually the laws according to black Sabbath mob rules. Oh, you have no idea, I think, how accurate you are. All right. What do we have coming up next here? Uh, we do have an email, and I will say uh, we have an email from Tony, a.k.a. the guy's name I always pronounce completely incorrectly, but he's still an unbelievably nice guy. Um, and he says in an email, um, starting at the end of it, my last name is pronounced closer to chalk than anything you or Bruce ever said. So leave it at Tony C, which I will say, thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. I was feeling really bad. Uh, Tony C, um, but the email started, you should interview Klaatu, uh, two for one, GNU World Order, and does something with Red Hat. I don't know, Klaatu, he's kind of shady. Does he do anything with Linux? 
I'm not convinced that he does. Um, and he's in a completely different time zone. Okay. For me and Bruce to interview him, I'm pretty sure he would have to be up at like some weird, obnoxious hour. Cause he's like, if not completely on the other side of the globe, it's pretty close there too. I think reaching out to him is like calling to the future. Uh, quite literally in the future. Yes. And I'll say this. I don't want to ever talk to somebody who's getting paid by a major company. Okay. I don't want to talk to anybody who's working at Google about Google. I don't want to talk to anybody working at Microsoft about Microsoft. And I really am sorry. I'm making this third comparison. I really don't want to talk to anybody working at Red Hat about Red Hat. And I say that out loud, even though there's like three people I can, I can talk to every couple of weeks who work at Red Hat. I know far more about Red Hat than I ever want to know. And I don't want to ever put, especially somebody like Klaatu in a position to publicly comment about anything that could affect his paycheck one way or another. I will never put him in that kind of place. And I will say, I do believe I'm one of the first Linux podcast, maybe that invited Klaatu on as a guest and interviewed him. Um, I don't know what he would want to say in 2019 versus he didn't say back in, I think it was 2012. Um, but anybody is welcome to come on the show. I will not go out of my way to put a person like him in a position to possibly, um, you know, change his income status. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I still owe him a lunch. If when we had the Northeast Linux Fest, the last one, I know he'd come in and I really regret not being able to make time to uh, actually sit and talk with him because he has been so helpful to me over the years, whether he knows it or not. And in fact, uh, when I first uh, uh, started getting more and more involved in the community and shortly before I joined uh, Linux basics um used to be a slackware user and i would run into occasional issues but you know sending a couple of emails off to him resolved it almost immediately and he was so he was immensely helpful and who knows how many you know thousands of people he's helped over the years i mean his podcasts are awesome i just love the way he approaches life in general uh and uh he he would be my guiding light in the linux world yeah, I mean, he's the kind of guy I would literally love to live, you know, two houses down from and just once in a while stop by, drop off something that I knew he liked and just chat with him about random topics. It doesn't have to be about Linux. Um, He is to me, yeah, I'm going to gush just for a second. First and foremost, he's just a good human being, period. Secondarily, he has good ideals. He has good belief patterns. He believes that he, as an individual, actually does have power to influence more than just himself. Um, he does not consider himself to be special, unique, or anything. And I guarantee you, Bruce, he has helped easily 5, 8, 10, 40,000 people, if not more to comprehend more what they were doing on their own computer, just in the way that he describes things, the way that he goes in depth and the amount of help he offers to anybody. That's why that, that was the first thing that drew me to him. Again, 
I listen to like 36 plus hours of podcast on average every day. He's one of the few people that will go out of their way to actually reply to an email, but not just to reply to an email, reply to an email as if he was a human being actually caring about who sent them an email. I try to do the same. And I will say this, I have a very hard time uh, holding myself to that standard that he does. Um, I don't want to bother him is the nicest way I can put it. If anything, I just tell people, go listen to GNU World Order. And if you don't have time to listen to something from Podnuts because you're listening to GNU World Order, I'm still pretty happy because you're listening to something productive, something efficient. And from somebody who actually cares what they're producing. So you know what? I'm going to proclaim him mayor of Linux town. Mm, good term, but I don't know if he would like the term mayor. Maybe like Archduke or maybe like um something a little bit less, I don't know, American. But it's something really ostentatious. Maybe something like benevolent overseer of all things Linux. Right. Or czar. I like czar. <laughs> very cool um i'm not sure i had any other links that actually caught my eye but i will say the only one that caught my eye and it was only because of the name of it and then the um short description of it and that was a article from uh, vice.com which uh, you know i'm not a fan of npr i'm not a fan of Rutgers. i'm not a fan of bbc i'm not a fan of abc i'm not a fan of NBC. I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of anything. Okay. When it comes to news, but this one actually caught my eye and it was a uh, collapse OS C O L L A P S E O S. And it says, this is an operating system that is designed for a post apocalyptic world. And this just absolutely caught my eye. Um, this is an operating system where its goal is to basically have as much driver support as possible to where you could literally solder together random processors, random buses, random input output things, whether it be drives, optical media, barcode readers, cameras or whatever, and quote unquote, just work. Um, without sounding dumb, this is the kind of thing that can change computing uh, tangentially, maybe not directly, but it it literally can change computing and how things are perceived. And I just found this to be damn near fascinating. Well, actually, even re-going through it again, you know, just the implications of what this could be used for, too, is is outstanding. I mean, uh, you know, I never thought of uh, computing in such a way where he would account for all the drivers for everything. Uh, you know, we that's probably still one of the biggest uh problems for a majority of other os's and i'm including things like uh both microsoft and mac os yeah and i will say um you know it's one of those things it, if i was able to insert a camera sound i would right now it's like a snapshot and most operating systems that are put out uh, you know uh, october 2019 they're hyper focused to only work on what is right now considered popular or what they individually support, whether it be Android, Chrome OS, Mac OS, Windows 10, or whatever, where this operating system said, no, 
we're going to support anything that we believe somebody could literally find in a rubbish pile after a apocalypse. Um, and here's the thing. We know storage media prices have went down insane. Capacity has went up insane. I don't see a reason why there's not operating systems out there that can literally support stuff created from 1960 up to, you know, 2050. And these guys, you know, that's one of the things that they're trying to do is just blanketly support all hardware. Well, the fact that you can theoretically run it on a Sega Genesis, they would be right. In a post-apocalyptic world, there'll be piles of Sega Genesis. Yeah, and Atari 2600s. And I will say this. I love the fact that I discovered, in air quotes, last week, I can simply drop to a command line on multiple operating systems and say, sudo apt install Stella, S-T-E-L-L-A, and then I have, bang, a perfectly running Atari emulator, and then I can go to archive.org, and I want to say it was less than two megs. I can download every Atari game that's ever created. And when it comes to the apocalypse, we're going to need entertainment as well. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one of the things that I have for Atari. We all remember the 2600. Uh, my father was a little forward thinking here. He bought the Atari 800 with the cartridges. The very first language I ever learned was basic. And, and it is like to me shocking. It's literally shocking how innovative a company like Atari was, yet how in 2019 they're an afterthought and there was a uh, concept made, and I do believe it was pitched on Kickstarter of a next-generation Atari console. Long story short, last week, the lead developer, the lead designer, the lead architect basically quit the entire project, and he announced, I'm quitting because they haven't ever paid me a dime. Um, I want the... I want the story of Atari to live on. I want, and here's the thing. I want those classic games to live on for one reason and one reason alone. If you take a look at games written in 2019, and if somebody in front of you is playing one of those games, they cannot do anything else except hyper-focus on those games because they're so intensive. Where right now, I could be playing Space Invaders on the Atari 2600 Yet I could still completely hold a conversation with Bruce because the games were just that basic and easy. And for all you know right now, I am literally playing Space Invaders on Stella. Oh, I absolutely hope you are. <laughs> well, that, and I was very happy to say I found a couple games, uh, Adventures of Tron, Tron Deadly Disc. But most importantly, I found a game called Princess Rescue, where somebody tried to basically take the old arcade cabinet, Super Mario Brothers, and like reverse engineer it to where it actually worked on Atari and it works surprisingly well, even though, you know, it doesn't look like, the, you know, it's 8-bit for God's sake, but it, it was unbelievable what somebody could do. And I want to say it was 2012 reverse engineering and putting it back on that kind of platform. Um, There was something to the simplicity. There was something to that ecosystem where it made people use their imagination but at the same time it just quote-unquote worked and there was no load times there was no like waiting for like 30 seconds or three minutes while things spun up like more modern operating systems 
You know, you've inspired me to go out. After this show is done, I'm totally going online to find an Atari shirt. I want one. I got better news for you than, than that, Bruce. One, you can go anywhere and just type in T-shirt, and you can find great Atari T-shirts. But, 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 but two, you can go to archive.org and type in nearly any Atari game and built in to the results page. You click that link and you can play the Atari game right there in your browser. But three, there's a distribution called Laka, L-A-K-K-A. And any video game that supported two players, even on Atari, even if hypothetically you were playing combat, hello, combat, one of the best games that's ever on a on that system, you could start net play to where I can be in Baltimore, Maryland. You can be right outside Cambridge, Massachusetts. We can both be running the exact same binary, the bin file from that game on Atari. We can start up net play and we can literally play two player Atari across the globe. It's such a glorious time that we live in. Oh, absolutely. Ah, well, all I can say is the ball is in your court. <laughs> Yeah, and all you need is a Raspberry Pi. You don't even need a Raspberry Pi 4 with 4 gigs of RAM. You can literally run this on a Raspberry Pi 2, and it will run perfectly because it's Atari. And if you can't, if you don't have an operating system, if you don't have hardware that can run an Atari emulator good, do me a favor. Send me an email, podcast at Linux for the rest of us. I'll buy you hardware where you can run Atari just fine. I don't care if you're in the Czech Republic. I don't care if you're in Ethiopia, where the guy just won the Nobel Peace Prize, which I got to say, that guy's pretty awesome. I don't care if you're in China. I don't care if you're in Hong Kong, which I will say, thoughts and prayers, because I don't got nothing else, can go out to the people of Hong Kong. You're doing great work. Keep it up. Keep being combative, because that's what I think this world needs a little bit more of. People demanding questioning authority and following through with it oh, great you just got us banned in china i really hope i was banned in china a long time ago bruce <laughs> or as as someone else pronounces it china i know i can't say it like that even when i try well i do know that uh, i was in uh, a local bed bath and beyond the other day they're actually selling the atari console again so $30 gets you 100 games in the console. Well, and without sounding dumb, you know, all you really need is Adventure, Space Invaders, Atlantis, Stampede, you know, and a couple more. And you can literally have years worth of entertainment. I almost can't wait to have Alzheimer's and forget stuff just so I can boot up an Atari and play it like it's the first time all over again well i think it's actually funny we bring this up because so we just got a new tv which means the 32 inch tv we have now is obsolete so i'm going to take that into work set it up in the cafeteria and i'm going to bring that atari console and set it up there and then bang workers now have something to do during lunch yeah i'm really tempted to do the same thing but to set up like um round robin like competitions to like who can do the best who can you know score the best at yars revenge because let me tell you something that was a fantastic game 
Yar's Revenge. I've heard of it, but I, I'll look it up. It's just complicated enough to where you have to learn how to play it, but simple enough, anybody can play it. Um, I can't remember the guy's name who created it, but he created some of the most epic games over his lifespan is what I'll say. Well, I remember there was also one, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was actually, you had to grab the three chalices through and it was adventure. Oh, okay. And in fact, that was one of the first games that I, I realized I had an Easter egg in it as well. It was documented as being the very first game with any Easter egg in it at all, because before that developers never had their name mentioned in any game through adventure. If you did it right, you could actually see the guy's name who actually coded the game. It was the very first time that was ever plausibly possible is what I'll say. And it was to me, the first game that told me that you don't have to just shoot things and kill them, but you can actually have a story like driven game behind it. Um, adventure was beyond groundbreaking. If it wasn't for adventure on that system, we would have never had legend of Zelda or anything else more complex. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I remember uh, when it went from the Atari games and then you had Activision that jumped in on the game. And, oh, the, you know, those were exciting times. And I was genuine. I love the newness of everything back then. And you had that innocence still with you. Um, you weren't old and cynical. <laughs> Maybe we are now. Yeah, like uh, arcade systems were new. Joust was a new concept. Tron Deadly Disc was a new concept. Mario Brothers. And it really was just a different era where today what's new is, you know, Snapchat or Instagram or pointless things like that. But I digress. Well, one of the things that I loved about the 80s, too, was, you know, when you went to these arcades, some of the groundbreaking games that were also there, too, because there was Dragon's Lair. I remember that being the first Laserdisc video game uh, that came out. And, oh, wow, I'll tell you, it's, you know, obviously it was pretty simple because all you had to do was stand behind the knew what he was doing, and you could mimic the same things. But, again, this was something new. It was really active, um, had cartoon characters in it, and uh, it was just it was just the next generation. Compared to some of these today, though, boy, I'll tell you, uh, the, just even you looking at Laura, what is it, uh, Croft, the Tomb Raider, uh, you've seen how how she's generated over the years too. I mean, what a what a seismic change. Yeah, and it's like one of those things. I almost, I'm almost afraid how it's going to look in 20 years versus even today, where it's going to be like hardly recognizable. Well, I think also with virtual reality, I've seen uh, some basic parts of it, but I mean, I really haven't, uh, I don't know of anybody who actually has such a set yet, you know, but when I do, I'm sure I'll be amazed by what I see. Yeah, and of course, and then as humans, we will consider it to be completely normal in no time. Uh, we adapt so quickly to new technology, it's nearly scary. Oh, Absolutely. Or at least some of us, anyway. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of the things I try to explain to my oldest kid. Especially in America, white males historically get to a certain age bracket and then they freeze frame. 
their style doesn't change, their clothes doesn't change, their hair doesn't change, their taste doesn't change, their expectations doesn't change, and then all of a sudden they're bitter towards everything that's changing and they want what was once to be again where everything um nostalgia based like was in their opinion completely perfect and i told him i'm almost the polar opposite i love disruption i love disruption and change um with that said it it doesn't mean what's new is immediately better i've seen so many newer things that completely suck um but I do enjoy just seeing things evolve. Oh, agreed. You know, you have to keep your mind active as you get older. And I mean, I think I'm doing even more now than what I've done before because, you know, I've got what? Uh, I actually went out and bought a keyboard the other day because it's time to learn a different instrument. You know, I've practiced guitar for years. I actually overspent on a guitar this year, but uh, I wanted to actually sit down and learn actual music theory. So that's what I'll be doing. Uh, and then on a side note at work, I found out that uh, they are giving us the green light for any kind of training we want. So, you know, maybe that Red Hat cert isn't unobtainable anymore. I'll just quote the Sugar Hill gang and say, jump on it. Um, my If my job offered me any training, I would jump on it just because I'd like new, different, challenging things. Um, um, and I'll say this. The best thing about technology is it doesn't matter what you want to learn. Every job title that you could possibly have in three to five years doesn't even exist today. So at any point in time, if you learn something, you will make yourself more viable in your next position. Oh, entirely. Maybe that's actually something we should uh, consider talking about a little bit later, too. Uh, and, you know, also bring it, bring it back around to, you know, in regards to some of our resources, because, you know, I've been a, a huge proponent of uh, Linux Academy for years. Boy, they're starting to get a little bit pricey. Well, when they hire complete scumbags from the Northwest, you know, they have to then raise their rates. Um, I love the fact that they're offering training for nearly anything that's on Linux. And they're literally doing better than virtually everybody else out there. But it's one of those dangerous games they play. How long can they really be for the end user before corporate greed takes over? I hope they do everything in their power to maintain that they're here for users, they're here for learning, they're here for expansion, they're here to make Linux take over, and they're not just here to break in a buck. Um, I know more than a couple of people that have paid yearly subscriptions to them. They're still really happy with what they're seeing come out of the product, but I will say I am not really happy with what I'm seeing their executives' decisions have been behind the scenes. Um, I have insight that I'm not going to let people know about. I'll just say, enjoy them while you can. And to quote, you know, 1970s funk songs, you got to use what you got to get what you want. Use the, the, use the Linux Academy for today to get what you want, but do not rely on them being there for you in maybe two or three more years from now. Um, they're a tool. They're nothing more than a tool. They're a ratchet. They're a wrench. Use them to help promote yourself. Use them to help 
better yourself. Use them to try to get yourself an upgrade, a better pay, but don't rely on them being there for you. No, and that's actually a good good words of advice because there are some other things that we can also bring up as well. Uh, uh, I don't like the union between the .com and LinkedIn. Um, that has sort of made a mess of things, but uh, more in that a little bit later. Um, but one last note uh, in regards to the Linux Academy, I think the only thing that I would I would probably say is that uh, I'm hoping that if I do decide to go through them, you know, for the Red Hat training uh, exam, that uh, it's a little bit more up to date too, because uh, it was actually years where even the basic LPI stuff hadn't changed very much, and it was rife with errors in the beginning. So I'm hoping they've at least cleaned those up over the last couple of years. Uh, I do believe them and CompTIA in the last 18 months have actually made uh, sub um, sub um, substantial updates to their curriculum is the way that I'll put it. Um, so it should be better. All right. Well, I'll give you guys an update if uh, I sign up for it in the next week or so. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, since we've stomped all over our our, our thirty minute presentation, uh, um, um, how do you want to do? You want to start towards wrapping this up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, we talked about it. To be honest, a really good range of topics i will say to the listener if you have any topics you would like us to cover do not hesitate 7076 podnut uh do not hesitate podcast at linux for the rest of us.com if you do send an email to doordoorgeek at gmail.com you have to make it utterly clear that it is for the podcast linux for the rest of us or bruce will not see this the actual email um if you would like to partake in this episodic event we call a podcast, linuxforthereftofus.com, you have to send me an email. You have to let me know. Um, the gates are open is what I want to say. Um, if you feel like you have any topic, anything that you think would drive conversation, all you got to do is let me know. Um, I want to thank Bruce for coming out. I want to thank Bruce for all the support. I want to thank everybody for all the support. Uh, Tracy Holtz, uh, I have no problem saying I love you. And it's really good to hear from you. Please be safe. Um, I know I don't have to say that out loud because I know you are safe, but just keep being safe, man. Oh, agreed. Tracy, we all missed you. And at some point, we'll have to get sports show going again. Bada bing. Uh, the best thing about sports is it's only getting more um, important, I'll say, to normal folks, uh, especially now with gambling being basically legal everywhere in the United States. I think more people are going to care about sports. Well, and depending on what state you're living in, the legalization of marijuana. So not only can you get high, you can gamble all your money away. That's the best of both worlds, especially as far as the government's concerned, because they can make taxes off of everything. And I can live in a cardboard box and we'll all win. And I can live in a van down by the river. <laughs> and the sad thing is that used to be like an insult. Now I keep thinking, you know, maybe if I had a nice van and I lived down by the river, it'd be nice and quiet. Well, it's also riverfront property. Yes, touche. Um, again, do not hesitate. Everyone, send us your feedback. Send us your comments. Send us your inspirational text if you want. Uh, I am available on every platform that's not controlled by r ruthless dictatorship types. Like, you know, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on MeWe. I'm on a thing called the Internet, uh, thanks to Tim Berners-Lee. Uh, and I will not hesitate to remind people that if you do not have root 
you do not know who does. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to everyone again real soon.